Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This is Better Than Yesterday. Thanks for being a part of it. This is a podcast to make today better than yesterday, and I've been doing it every week since 2013 by having a conversation with someone who's been there before. Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays, we're here. Mondays, Wednesdays, with a guest, and Fridays with you. My name's Osher Ginsberg. I'm a podcaster. I'm a TV show host. I am a uh, sticky, soundproofing, ceiling sticker. There's a weird resonance in the corner of my studio in my house where I record Unfortunately, it's where I sit for the camera angles. And there's, there's one particular resonant frequency that goes, Ooh, it's that one. And it, it's fine here because I'm not sitting at the desk. But yeah, it's a real bother. I know Andy, who does video and audio post on this, could probably EQ it out. But still, the guy that went to audio school inside of me will not have it. And I need to figure out a way to get that bass trap out of the corner. Because it's all about that bass trap. What was that song? Never mind. Tangents. In 2020, we're going to go back and listen to an episode. Sorry. We're going to go back and listen to an episode from a couple of years back because that's what we do on Wednesdays. Just a little bit of it. And I hope you like it because I'd like you to go back and check out the full episode. In 2020, I sat down with New York Times bestselling author Sarah Wilson. You may know her. She wrote the book, I Quit Sugar. Uh, she also wrote an extraordinary book about anxiety, First We Make the Beast Beautiful. Formerly, when I first met Sarah, I believe she was the uh, editor of Australian Cosmopolitan magazine. She's a podcaster. She's a syndicated columnist, a TV show host, um, has written many cookbooks. She's a very influential person and a magnificent human being, very self-aware, and it really has such a way with words. It was great to speak with her. In this episode, we talk about just the light stuff, you know, dealing with our moral struggles and, you know, what matters to our society. There's not much sugar talk. But we do talk about her book, First We Make the Beast Beautiful, and we kind of touch on connection and disconnection. So I asked her to expand on that. I guess in the first book, the disconnect is the connection with ourselves and with a, an understanding of anxiety as something that is is something that 
well, as the title suggests, it's it's a beautiful thing. Um, we live in a culture where it has been deemed problematic as something that exists out there that, you know, is a chemical imbalance that needs to be fixed. And we have a culture where we fix everything. We have to eradicate and fix things. And I just think that the reason why I set off to write first, We Make the Beast Beautiful, and that was, you know, that came out a few years ago now, and it took seven years to write. So I was I was working on that when we were ignoring each other, sand running in Bondi years ago, right? Fabulous. Yeah, um, that's what I was thinking about. It was churning in my head at the time. I wrote it because I felt so alone in the discourse, in a decent discourse that went beyond the medical model, didn't ignore the medical model, but went into the philosophy, the spirituality of it all. We have lost the connection of seeing anxiety as a evolutionary quirk at a biological level but a spiritual necessity if you look at it through that lens it has always existed as something that is is necessary to keep the human endeavor moving forward so shaman spiritual leaders wartime leaders were more often than not and when i say more often than not we're talking 70 to 90 percent of wartime leaders were bipolar you know, um, 70% wow. of scientists and poets at various times in history have been deemed to be bipolar. And up until reasonably recently, and bear in mind, anxiety only entered the DSM, which is the main diagnostic tool that we use in Australia and the US and to a lesser extent the UK. Anxiety only entered that diagnostic manual as a disorder in 1980, one year after the first anti-anxiety drug was invented. I mean, coincidence much? I don't know. So before that, of course, we got anxious, but there was a different kind of discourse around it. And Mm. you could identify the moment when it all shifted, but certainly 100 years ago, 200 years ago and beyond, there was a certain amount of firstly acceptance, but also respect for those who had these quirks. So Charles Darwin, Beethoven, Van Gogh, all these incredible thinkers and artists, you know, that we kind of build our society, our sense of what it is to be human from, had these conditions. Now, what often happens is we then tend to glorify these things and there's this really weird tension that we face in our culture. And I've witnessed this, and you might have as well in your journey with anxiety. When I was first diagnosed in, well, 13, but then was put onto medication in the very early days. I was one of the first cohort to go through Prozac. And I was 17, 18 at the time, and it was to treat obsessive compulsive disorder. And you went through this stigmatization, but then not long after, it became a kind of badge of honor. And this is something that we've also got to be careful of. So there's this weird dialogue that we have around it. And really, it doesn't tick any of the boxes of acceptance and also working with it, carrying it as a responsibility, but also seeing it as a gift, a superpower, that when you actually sit with it and you're responsible with it. So this is not about descending into going, oh, I've got depression or I've got bipolar. I just, you know, I've just got to go a bit crazy sometimes. No, that's not what it's about. There is also a responsibility that comes with it. So we have just lost that dialogue. We've lost that natural understanding of this aspect of human nature. That there is agency. Yes, you have this. If you, if you swap out, you know, we have similar diagnoses. Yeah. If you swap out obsessive compulsive disorder, you swap out anxiety to type 1 diabetes. Mm. You know, you are born with it. Yeah. This is how your body just processes things differently. You have to be careful about how you eat it. It makes people real uncomfortable if you neck a whole dozen donuts because people know that's not good. Yeah. You shouldn't do that. But if you're like, oh, no, no, I'm just going to go for a run because I had a little thing earlier and I need to, you know, mind my sugar, yep. don't worry, I'll be right back. Yeah, yeah. Everyone's like, oh, cool, he's got this. Yep. 
he's right. We don't have to worry about him. He's got this thing. He's a totally normal human being. He just has to do a little bit extra to manage himself. But for some reason, because it's in our brains, you know, we allow... Like, you, we wouldn't allow a type 1 diabetes person to play the victim. We'd be like, no, come on. Yeah. You've got to take responsibility. You've got to live. Yeah. You know? But with people who have this in their brains, like, oh, it's all right. He doesn't like to leave the house much. Just leave him alone. We let him play the victim. In Beast. You know? Yeah, in First We Make the Beast Beautiful, I talk about, so after doing this big G up, hey, this shit can be used as a superpower, right? Yeah. I then go, but hang on. I liken it to having to carry a shallow bowl of water around for the rest of your life when you've got a serious diagnosis. You've got to carry it around and you've got to remain steady. Your responsibility is to keep steady. So it includes not having sugar highs. It includes not getting overexcited and allowing that, again, to use another metaphor that from the book, um, allowing your kite string to unwind out too far. Let it fly, <laughs> but keep that string taut right? So that's, I'm mixing my metaphors here, but the shallow bowl of water, you've got to keep yourself sturdy and steady. It is your responsibility because you know what? It is unfair if you walk around sloshing your water all over everybody. And what's more, it's exhausting having to go back to the source to fill back up again, which anyone who's got a condition like you and I have, we know that exhaustion. It's like, here we go again. I'm going to have to get back on track and it's going to take another couple of weeks. But if we do take on the responsibility of being a steady human, an adult steady human, the price of that is not too high. In fact, the payoff is incredible because you then go and tick a whole heap of other boxes like, and I jump ahead here, becoming an adult, becoming yes. a sturdy, good, decent human being that's got their shit together that people want to be around. You then become a leader. And it might be a leader in your school group. It might be a leader in whatever format you're involved in. But it actually just kills a whole, I hate this phrase actually, kills a whole of birds in one stone, right? But the benefits are untold. And I, I think I've watched you over the years as you've done the work on yourself and got yourself steady and done the stuff, the hard stuff, the payoffs are exponential. They're not linear. They're not, it's not a flat line. They're exponential. And same with me. My health, yeah. my mindset, my energy, my love, my ability to contribute has just gone up and up and up and up and up. The sturdier I've got. Sarah Wilson, as you can hear, is a very smart cookie, uh, sugar-free cookie. So it was really interesting when she had this to say about how we generally deal with moral struggles in our life. We have reached a point of development in our culture where we have lost the ability to do moral struggle, to wrestle with difficult moral issues. And as you say, yeah. we tend to run from them or get angry, right? The person yeah. who holds the mirror up to us, the reminder to us, you know? So we actually have lost the tools. We used to have what I call in the book moral guardrails, the church, trade unions, you know, if we were working more than nine to five, there was a trade union or a human resource department that would, you know, ensure that our rights were satisfied, et cetera, et cetera. Now we're expected to be on 24-7 and nobody's really policing it and we really don't know, do we observe a Sabbath because we used to have a church leader mm. instill that. And then difficult moral decisions that we faced as a culture, they were able to be discussed at a sort of languid pace. We used to watch the news once a day and, you know, I grew up with two TV channels. So, you know, you had a news source and there was a responsibility to, to discuss these things fully. And so we were able to actually work our way through those kinds of puzzles. Now we are just 
hit with them with no time, no psychic space and no leadership or structures that guide us. And I use the quote from a beautiful writer in the New York Times, David Brooks, who says that the kind of stuff that we've got to deal with morally, not even Nietzsche could work his way through this stuff, right? And we've got to get on with raising children, putting dinner on the table, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And it's just a gig that's just too hard. So there's that aspect of things that, you know, I think we don't discuss and we don't acknowledge. Now, I'm just trying to backtrack on all the other things. I was counting all these different um, aspects. I, I was basically, I guess I was trying to talk about we find ourselves suddenly, when you do pick up your book, if you've not considered it before, you will find yourself suddenly like, oh, my God, I'm complicit in all these systems. I'm, you talk about le- oh, neoliberalism. Yes. Yes, well, all right, if you're a young person, uh, you know, you've got young kids and you pick up a book in Big W and suddenly you're faced with neoliberalism and you've got a trolley full of clothes for your children that cost 20 bucks but they were made in China, mm-hmm. you're suddenly like, oh, fuck, I'm in it. I'm part of all of it. Yep. Ah, well, it's, that can be really hard. It's super hard. And one of the things I compare, I had a sort of a, a comparison that I bring up several times in the book. A lot of people are talking about the fact that we feel at war. We feel at war, but unlike World War II, the most recent example of a war, you know, a world catastrophe, I suppose, there's no common identifiable enemy. So mm. um, most of the world was able to go, the Nazis, you know, and so we rallied around that. And so governments were able to do all kinds of things, right? In the US, they switched from a consumer economy to a wartime economy in two weeks. And there were people paying, the highest tax rate was 94%. And everyone just did it because there was a common cause and a common enemy. What we face today with the climate crisis is that we are in the crisis and and Timothy Merton wrote a book and he referred to these as hyper objects. A hyper object is a problem that's so vast. We are in the middle of it. We can't get the perspective of pulling back and seeing what's going on. We are complicit. We are both the victim and the perpetrator. And that doesn't happen too often. And so there's nobody that can guide us because we're all in it. The hypocrisy is just everywhere. You know, as you say, you might be a vegan, but you're eating stuff out of a plastic bag, you know, is such a hard thing to navigate. So I think that that's definitely, definitely adding to the overwhelm. Yeah. I couldn't bring myself. I read an essay about that book, but I couldn't bring myself to actually read that book. The hyper objects. Yeah terrifying because it brings in all the AI stuff as well. Yeah, yeah. I read like a 10,000 word essay on it and that was enough to yeah. kind of leave me, I mourned for about 10 days. Yes. You know? Yeah. It was fucking heavy and I'm like and then they sent me the book I'm like I cannot read this. Yeah. Uh, baby's just been born. I know it's real. I know it's true. I accept it. I just can't look at it that closely right now. Yeah. You know, you, you walked in wonderful parts of the world, you know, mm. America and uh, the north of England and Japan Jordan, Crete. Jordan, Joshua Tree through the Mediterranean. Yeah. We're back in a moment with more from Sarah Wilson. Stick around. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. 
My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. This is Better Make It Quick. It's the Wednesday edition of the show where we go back and listen to an episode from times past. In 2020, I sat down with Sarah Wilson. You may know her from I Quit Sugar. She's a New York Times bestselling author. And she, we talked about her, her book at the time, First We Make the Beast Beautiful. And I wanted to know... It's not hard to see that, you know, the world we're in at the moment, it's a bit tricky. And in Sarah's eyes, what is it that she thinks we have lost sight of in our community? We've lost sight of what matters. And this is, I think people listening would relate to this in the workplace, maybe even in your discussions with your family. We have lost sight of what matters. What's the outcome we want? We want a kinder society. We want a society Mm. where people don't fall into the trap of committing crime to get by. We want people to actually get rehabilitated and come back and get jobs and contribute back Mm. into society. And, you know, I think it's in Denmark, their prison system, or maybe it's Norway, the rate of people coming out and reoffending is really low. The rate of people coming out and getting a job is super high. And it turns out that the cost of the prison system is way, way lower, even though in these prisons, these people are treated like full respected human beings. There's recreation, there's health things, there's libraries. Mm. They have to work to build the stuff that they have, you know. The short version is like some some of these prisons, uh, I think Sweden was the one that I heard about. There's no fences. It's miles away. So if you want, and and Sweden, you can't walk anywhere because you will die from cold. So that helps. But the the prison itself is prison, I'm using the inverted fingers. It's a microcosm of society and like this is how a functional, you may have grown up however you grew up, you know, you may not have had a, a good role model, but here's how the society that we're going to put you back into is working. Here's the decision-making process. Here's a leadership structure. Here's a command yep. chain of command. Here's instigation. Here is decision. Here is consequence. And here is serving a community. And doesn't, you know, doesn't this feel interesting when you serve your community? And that's basically getting people in that routine so when they go out, they're like, oh, this is just like it was before yeah. when I had a, uni- a uniform on. Well, they don't think they even wear uniforms. And it, it's the same. Yep. And, and it's fascinating. It's a microcosm of what's actually happening for the rest of us, if you think about it, yeah. right? We have been trapped and I refer to capitalism as a cult. And if you make the the parallels are stark, you know, when I say it to people, they think, oh my God, what are you about to tell me? But if you think about it, we have been trapped in this kind of setup where we've come to believe that earning money and accumulating money to go and buy stuff that we actually don't need, that corporates tell us we need, whether it's a particular kind of handbag, a particular kind of black SUV, whatever it might be. And we actually pay, we sacrifice, you know, mm. we go into debt, we, we give up all kinds of freedoms to pay off debt to banks and so on and a whole system that tells us this is what we should be doing. And then we're trapped. We're absolutely trapped. We can't escape it. Then we have all this kind of dialogue where we think it's absolutely normal and anything else is abnormal. I mean, the parallels with the cult are unbelievable. And we've lost sight, I believe, of the fact that we are inherently kind. Humans have survived not out of dog eats dog. We've survived out of kindness and an ability to cooperate and to facilitate and enable each other and to enlarge 
humanity's experience. We have lost sight of that and we've lost sight of it at the most critical juncture in our evolution. And I believe that what's happening in the world at the moment is the thing that will send us one way or the other. This is going to be the trigger, the moment where we will either rise to where we feel we should be, which is evolved into a level of kindness that's radical, or we will self-destruct, you know, and that's what often happens. You know, let's say you put an organism in a petri dish and if it's there long enough, it'll eventually eat itself. But I think we feel, and maybe it's a superiority complex, I don't know, I think we feel that we humans are not here on this mortal coil to do that experience. I think we feel at spiritual level, even at a biomechanics level, we're meant to evolve to bigger, not smaller. We're not meant to eat ourselves. We're not meant to destroy the planet that holds us, that we are part of, that we know we are part of. We know it. We see sunsets. We see dogs. We look into animals' eyes. We see grains of sand wash up and feel connected somehow to the rolling mechanism of the life force. We know it. We just know it. Now we have science and quantum physics and all kinds of things that can actually explain it to us in that cerebral way that we seem to trust more so than our own selves. That's fine. And this is our rally call. You know, I quote Dr. James Hollis and I'm a massive fan of his work. He's a, a Jungian psychologist from the States and he's in his 80s now and he's published countless works. And one of my favourite phrases is he said, our souls call us to an appointment with life, right? And if we ignore that call, it'll repeat that call and it'll become more and more violent. In, in our case, your case, you were taken to rock bottom with your addiction. My case, I went down so low, you know, with my mental, so-called mental disorder. And that was my soul. It gave me a little tap on the shoulder. Then it gave me a shove. And then it gave me an almighty boot. And I eventually heard the call and I stepped up into life, Right. That is what life is asking of us collectively right now. And you could see it as, oh, we've had a few little reminders. We've had some oil spills. We've had some biodiversity loss. Oh, and what do you know? Some of the cutest animals in the picture books, they're becoming extinct. Giraffes, koalas. We're starting to see it all. And then we get the bushfires. And then we get this incredible pandemic that takes us to our edge. It's life driving our, you know, it's like our souls, our collective souls dragging us to the edge and going, guys, this is it. Are you going to rise? Are you going to, and I call it kamikaze mode, are you going to go into kamikaze mode and just make this happen? Because humans have got a history of making magic happen when we care enough about it, when we're taken to the edge like that, when our souls take us to that edge. And World War II is a prime example. Like I said, we were able to do Herculean things as a culture. And then you hear those stories of 50-kilo mums lifting cars off their toddlers, like absolutely impossible except that it's happened. And I use the example of a football game. How many sporting games have happened throughout history where in the final three and a half seconds, this incredible thing happens and all the rules are broken, the team rallies together. Again, it's kamikaze mode and they just go, right, we're doing this thing and we don't know what happens. The crowd watches and just goes, how did that happen? I would say over 50% of the games that go down in history, I'm not a sports buff, but I know enough about it from hearing it. I live in Australia. It's, uh, it's the predominant dialogue. How many games were literally down to the wire to that last three and a half seconds? Something magical happens. And that's what I feel we're being taken to with the current 
crisis. And yeah. yeah, so in this one wild and precious life, I walk my way to that conclusion and it crescendos, you know, the peaks get higher. And yeah. then in the, in the final chapter, I arrive at what I feel is that simple, you know, that simple perspective. My full conversation with Sarah Wilson is, as you can probably guess, pretty dense, but it's well worth it. Scroll on back to Ep 353. There's a lot more in there about, uh, we talk about anxiety, we talk about the benefits of nature, moving. We do explore really interestingly dealing with discomfort in a, in a way that quite surprised me. Episode 353 in the podcast feed. Thanks very much to Abby Benno who produced this episode, Andy Marr on audio and video post, Toe Hider for the music, Ben and Monica at OGTV for keeping the lights on and you for listening. There's a newsletter link in the show notes. There's also an email, send us your email at gmail.com if you need me. I'll see you on Instagram. I'll see you here on Friday. I'll see you. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com.